Are you afraid to be vulnerable maybe because you've got some shadows? You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 293, Angus Nelson and the Power of Being in Christ. Honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I am your host, Eric Nevins, and also kind of as always, I'm jazzed that you're here because I love uh, the conversation that I think we're going to have right now, I, and I know that it's going to bless you as well. Um, this is one, friends, definitely go out and uh, share this episode with your friends. You might have a, you might have a buddy, you might have a spouse, you might have somebody who needs to hear this episode, share it with them. Just shoot a, shoot them a text and say, I love this and let them know. That means the world to me. That's how the show grows. That's how we, how we get going and more people can discover it. So I appreciate it. Uh, okay. So our guest today, he is, he's got a, a, got a great big bio and it's very, very impressive. He's a high performance coach for men. He's worked with a lot of really impressive people who've done a lot of cool things. Uh, but my favorite part, uh, two things about him is one, he lives in Nashville with his wife and three kids and also their two bougie dogs, which I think is super fantastic to add in your profile, but he's also got a rock star name, Agnes Nelson. Welcome to halfway there. Ang- well, Angus thanks, Nelson. I just said Agnes, didn't I? Yeah. And do you know what's so funny? Um, like people do it all the time. I know. Agnes, but I grew up in Wisconsin. So Angus being a, a name of cattle, you can only imagine like the self-worth I had to like create yes. around Herefords and Jersey and all these other Ooh. cattle that people used to tease me. And I'm totally cool if you call me Agnes, because as long <laughs> as the G is there, because I've had people where I've literally introduced myself. <laughs> And they missed the G. Well, I'm annoyed with myself because I like was practicing that earlier today. Like I got to make sure you don't mess that up. Anyway, Angus Nelson, you have a rock star name. Like both of those people are rock stars. Yeah. You well, know, thank like, you very much. Yeah. It's great to be here. I'm I, Eric. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation because uh, I think this is the type of thing that most people never have the real conversations. We have the polish spit spot, you know, clean, like, Oh, Jesus, friends are friends forever. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And what does that look like in real day life? What does it look like in application of a life that is broken, and yeah. um, and is in need of grace? Yeah. And well, I just think that's the beautiful thing about what Jesus and what He's done for us, right? Like, there's a, there's it doesn't matter what we've been through or who we are, even He still loves us, and that's that's available for free. So. Uh, we have to talk about it. And I think he was not afraid to go there. So we're not going to be afraid to go there as well. I know your story goes through a whole bunch. I want to hear, like, let's go back. So I gave you that just really brief. I didn't go through your whole, your whole thing, but you're a coach and you do all these things. Give us that kind of broad strokes introduction to kind of who you are, and what you're doing right now, Angus. Sure. So I'm a, a, a high performance coach for men. I work with executives, CEOs, entrepreneurs, uh, influencers, celebrities, uh, people who definitely have their foot on the gas and then they hit ceilings and those ceilings create doubts. Those ceilings create um, self-reflection in very negative ways. And I help them to surpass those. Mm. And it's always in a place of the life squeeze, as I call it. 
It's a place where there's a transition. And those ceilings that we find are always around limiting beliefs of, do I deserve? Am I worthy? Do I have what it takes? And if we can reflect this into the Christian world uh, real quickly, my background actually was a degree in youth ministry. And so I actually have a faith construct to a lot of the things that I do. However, I've kind of deconstructed a lot of it to get rid of a lot of the obligation, uh, mm. legalism, and religious constructs that I grew under. And that's part of our conversation for later, I'm sure. But in light of my coaching, it helps me with a perspective for my, my guys to understand that everything they're looking for is actually internal. And the yeah. men I work with is about engaging and reminding them of the greatness that's within. And I would love to just jump on a soapbox and just take off from there. But that was enough talking for one second. Yeah, that's good. So what we'll do is we'll come back. But here's what I love about what you said. I'm I'm starting to think about calling myself a Christian humanist. Do you remember in the 90s, John Piper mm -hmm. came out and he called himself a Christian hedonist? And it was like this yeah. big deal. I think I want to be a Christian humanist because even though I believe, I mean, sin is a thing, but... I also believe what what you just said that being a human being is kind of a powerful and really cool thing, right? Mm -hmm. God became a human yeah. being. I think we don't take that seriously enough. And one of the things yeah. I'd like to come back to is this idea that um, of how some of our religious beliefs hold us back and keep us mm -hmm. from actually understanding ourselves, because I think mm -hmm. that's an important part of the journey. And I'm guessing you have a story about how you discovered that for yourself. Sure. Um, where do so, you want to start? Um, I do. Well, so, I want to go back. So I want to, I want to hear yeah, the yeah. beginning and then we'll, I, I'm yeah. confident we'll come back to that. So yeah. you're in Nashville now, but where'd you grow up? Are you from there? No, I was born in Houston, Texas, but I was raised in central Wisconsin. Like we said ah, before gotcha. uh, yeah, yeah. about being surrounded by cattle names. Um, That's right. And I thought, you know, as soon as I get out of high school, I'm going to get out and go. My mother was from New Zealand. My dad's from South Texas. And my dad has served in the Navy. They taught us, like, when you get of age, you know, get out of school, grab a backpack and go. And so I had become a believer in high school, basically made a confession for uh, Jesus when I was about 16. And I started living it when I was 17. And then I became a super Christian. I was like yeah. super saved, hardcore. My friends thought I was weird. All I listened was to Christian music. I went to Bible school, got a degree in youth ministry. And then I joined a missions organization. Um, well, every summer I was overseas on short-term missions. And then in between, I come back to the States and different cities and work a little odd jobs, just to make enough money for the next summer to go to the next country. And so my first trip was 1991. I went to the Soviet Union, spent two months there. That was right before uh, the collapse um, of the Soviet Union. So two weeks after we left, the tanks rolled into Red Square and uh, Yeltsin, um, uh, and Gorbachev made the transition uh, in leadership. And it was an exciting season. Flash forward, um, I started a nonprofit organization in my late 20s. And that organization was um, a coffee shop uh, on the outside, but it, behind the scenes, it was a nonprofit uh, uh, arts driven youth center. And all of the people uh, that wanted it to uh, be a Christian coffee house kept pressuring us to be just that. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be just a coffee house where anyone can talk about anything. And especially for young people, I wanted to create this safe place. 
I had traveled the globe. I'd seen so much. And I ended up in my hometown, central Wisconsin, and built this, like, what felt like kind of a martini bar. It was super cool and very progressive for central Wisconsin. We had computers. We had internet in 1999. (laughs) The cyber cafe, like, what is this? And we got accused of being, you know, backslidden. We got accused of being uh, contradictory to our faith because we would not, um, they kept saying, you deny Jesus before man, he'll deny you before the maker. And I'm like, you know what, yo, this is not what this is about. This is about loving people right where they're at. And my dad was a pastor. He felt the pressure coming from all the other churches. And he's like, can't you guys just, no, dad, this is not what's in our heart. That created pressure. On top of that, our funding that, you know, being a nonprofit started to choke. Um, we were trying to swing for the fences and present to this, to that area, something they'd never had before. And so, um, it was a little ahead of its time, about 60% of our bands were Christian bands. And this is before all Christian music turned to worship. This is like (laughs) the, the, the cool Christian bands, you know, like some of our guys end up joining bands like Switchfoot. Um, we had Reliant K, we had Pax 217, Five Iron Frenzy. And like, if you remember that genre, like all those guys played at our place, a bunch of them, right? We did over 500 shows in the three years we were open. We did two music festivals and our first major music festival, the headliner was a band called Train. So they were mainstream. Yeah. Opening up for them was a Christian band called uh, Burlap to Cashmere. Yeah. Love them. And in amongst all that, right. They were great. I mean, we had Stave Saker, we had LA Symphony, we had like all these cool bands mixed in with um, little blue, blue crunchy things and I don't know, just all these, you know, mainstream bands. Well, I needed 4,000 people to show up that weekend. We had thunder showers and only 1,400 did. Wow. I lost $72,000 that day or that weekend rather. And so I did the honorable thing. I, uh, my wife and I moved into my parents' basement. Uh, we just kept paying back the debt because we felt that was the honorable thing to do. Meanwhile, um, I didn't know how to ask for help. I didn't know how to leverage my board and ask them for support. I didn't know how to delegate. I chose to put all that weight on my shoulders. Meanwhile, my wife is despising me. She's growing resentful because I'm not making any money. I'm putting in 60, 70, 80, 90 hour work weeks trying to turn the ship around. And underneath that pain, meanwhile, I'm leading worship at my dad's church in addition. But under that pain, I turned to porn to try and cope with like feeling dead inside. And at least there would be one part of my life I could control. And then that guilt and shame turned to alcohol. And then I started sleeping around. And in short order, I blew up my marriage. I blew up the business and I blew up my self-worth. Now what? God, you can't even love me because I don't even love myself. And that was like I was saying before earlier, like when I was so bound to legalism and so bound to religiosity, in addition to my own ego and narcissism and um, inexperience to how to be a real leader. And that was the hardest time of my life. And on December 23rd, 2003, I was officially divorced. December 25th, two days later, was Christmas. And I was underneath my Christmas tree, um, sobbing. The carpet's all wet underneath me. 
and I'm contemplating how I'm going to save my life. And I heard this voice and it said, we're not done here yet. And that was the beginning of a journey of me going to get counseling. I started reading like a mofo, like all the books, yeah, yeah. you know, everything, personal development, uh, human psychology, human behavior. And then I discovered this guy down in um, Huntsville, Alabama, and he was a pastor, but he had this very unique approach to Christianity, which involved grace, along with very Eastern uh, mindsets around how we see God and how we see the Bible, because the Bible is actually an Eastern book but we've put it into a black and white Latin-based Western book. They're very different and ways of thinking. That is for sure. Okay. Very different I, I want to ask a few questions. Uh, that's a, that's a fascinating story. It sounds like a, uh, I mean, that's a, that's almost a whole lifetime right there. Right. Of just, of, of, of experiences. What were you believing about yourself and your relationship with God in that season when you're trying to pay back this money and then that's deteriorating into your relationship is is dissolving. You're getting into things that are destructive. What what were you believing in that season about your yourself and your relationship with God? Yeah. So belief is probably the strongest piece. Like what what is what am I believing? Right. And everything we as humans have in our lives are built around stories. So I often tell my clients, what's the story you're telling yourself? So for me in that season, it was very performance-based. I'm experiencing X because I must have done Y. I didn't pray enough. I didn't fast. Um, I wasn't obedient. I missed it somewhere. Like all the Christianese that we build into our faith background is all built around performance. And there is where we get into these ruts where for me, I started to believe I wasn't good enough. I believed that um, there, there must be something that I um, have not done or cannot do because of where I stand with God. And God became this man, this creature, this <laughs> being, you know, whatever out there. And I'm just down here. And I was in constant pursuit to try and pull him down to where I was. That was what I believed. Wow. Yeah, that's fascinating. I Isn't that interesting? Is that a result of the way that we think about God, that we think about him as high and lifted up, if you will, or mm -hmm. as a result of something else? Like what, what, where do you think that came from? So my now looking back and the things that I've studied, um, I think we have this poor perception of self. And I honestly believe it's because of the way we've constructed. Okay, now we're getting the dirt. Okay. Uh, the way we've constructed church is built around power struggles. And that's not always the best thing to see is that we need a congregation to keep coming and appearing. And so as such, people who are professional laborers in the ministry need people to keep coming. And the best way to do that is to make them feel small and that they're constantly in need of more. Uh, it's a big sales marketing thing in you know the, the world, but unfortunately has kind of seeped into kind of how 
uh, a lot of ministry leaders have started to see their congregations. And it's not intentional by, right. by far and away. These are not ill uh, focused or, or cruel or manipulative leaders doing this. It's really just a matter of the system and the way that it's structured. And so as such, when we say things like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, we're saying, I am a loser. Right. And with God, maybe, maybe I could be a winner. Um, we say things that perpetually, like even our worship songs, our worship songs are written in third person, the majority of them. Yeah. And we don't sing enough songs that talk about I and me. And then people would say, oh, but I'm less than, and, and I'm, you know, small and I'm a sinner. Like that, you don't understand. The God who created the universe, who spoke, I am, said present tense, I am. How much more should we be able to say I am because it's his nature within us? Because the same God who spoke and created expansion into the world, let there be light, and the world has continued to expand, then chose us to be his home and said, I will live in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, you know, that word. Uh, glory is this word doxa that says God's view and opinion. And the mystery of the gospel is this, Christ in you, the hope of God's view and opinion. What if we could see ourselves the way God sees us as powerful? He said, dominion, authority, glory, and power. You would be a city on a hill that cannot be hid, which means we must have some splendor to us. He said, I want to mm -hmm. do in you the exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, dream, or dare imagine. He said, speak into this mountain, be thou plucked up and cast in the sea, and the mountain must obey. It's like all these things that talk about this power, and we as the church have seen ourselves as menial and small and insignificant, and what we need is a bigger God that lives within us so that we can rise to walk in light of creating wealth, creating um, a sense of confidence, a sense of, um, of, of being more, because we are a unique being a peculiar people who should be in a place that people look to us and aspire to be like us. Instead, as a whole, we become jaded and critical and judgmental, and we make people feel less than because they're not like me. And we've really missed this thing called grace, grace, the power to help you become more than you could ever become in yourself. We miss this place of love that is unconditional and we yes. miss this place of power this power that allows us to walk in ways and create i don't know why the church isn't like the biggest startup uh greenhouse <laughs> in the world a, a place of entrepreneurship a place of expression for for business and influence that's what the church should be well i obviously agree with you i i absolutely think there's so much more room, but we have to be willing to let people see who they are uh, in Christ, not uh, who they were, right? Not not the not the things that uh, even again. I go back to because uh, the thing I always get is from people is well, you know, what about sin? Yeah, sin exists, but right, but God, and just go read <laughs> Romans eight, read through that, meditate on that, and you'll have a whole different experience. That's where he says we're more than conquerors, yeah. right? 
We yep. are we just read it. It's a beautiful passage. Yeah. Okay. So you had to learn all this and you learned you learned it the hard way, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Right? You went yeah. you went through some some experiences, you kind of blew up your life and you had this belief that you had to please God in some way, you had to do all the right things and you weren't. And so you mm-hmm. weren't worth it. And then I think you kind of started to tell us this, but then how'd you how'd that change? Because you obviously have taken down that story. You met, you met this, was it a pastor or this, this guy in, in Alabama? Yeah. Yeah. So I started listening to this guy. Well, actually I started reading some of his books first and then I started listening to him. And, um, and the biggest thing was this, this perception of grace and that you are loved just like you are. And that was kind of the first thing that kind of shifted me. And then the book that kind of changed everything was this book called Becoming the Person You Want to Be. And the premise is we're always trying to strive to become something God already said we are. And that was like a big mind like shift. Like, oh, what? What? I got to learn more from this guy. And I put my house in the market and moved down to Huntsville, Alabama. Wow. And um, it's funny, you know, like like somebody, the, the guy, he's, he, he, he's got some people skills issues, but holy crap, he's got some grasp on truth, like about how, you know, to see the world through God's eyes. And um, I, I had to let go of how I had known or seen myself to be for myself personally and how I saw God. You know, one of the Eastern methodology type of perspective or whatever that he said, and I can remember getting up in the back of the class and having to literally pace back and forth saying, could this be true? Is this true? And it was this thing where we have, um, you know, God is a God of red lights and we're waiting for green lights, meaning uh, where should I go to school? What job should I take? Who should I marry? I'm going to pray and wait for God to show me. And so we have all these believers who are stuck, not doing things that are in their heart, that their spirit and their intuition is leading and guiding them, waiting for some kind of thing when this other philosophy, this Eastern perspective, is a God of green lights, where God says, what do you want to do? I gave you these gifts, skills, talents. I've given you this, uh, this desire. Go for it. And then be sensitive when I give you the red lights. Like, hey, that guy's a little shady. Yes. That guy's a little, you know, whatever. Like, we have to see that we are limiting ourselves because we follow this construct that isn't serving anyone. Right. So so the classic example, and I keep going back to this over and over recently, and that's usually how I know that God is trying to say something to me as it keeps going Mm -hmm. up, is like, read the book of Kings, right? What happens? The good kings are the ones who say they have their face with the situation and they call the prophet and they say, what should I do? What does God say about this? Should I go up? Mm-hmm. Should I go? Should I go into this battle or not? Or should I, should I build these things or whatever? And then the, the bad kings are the ones that just do whatever they want. Right. So they mm-hmm. live in this sort of tension of like, yes, I mean, it seems right. Okay. I'm going to go, go there. Midianites are coming and I'm going to go attack them but they ask first and they say, okay, God, mm-hmm. is that, is that the right thing? And sometimes God will say, nope, I'm going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes he says, go, go, go meet them. 
And, but that sensitivity, like you're talking about and just being willing to ask the question, that's what a life with God is like, right? That's mm-hmm. what it's, that's the, that's the example of scripture. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think you see Jesus do the same thing. Yeah. And take, so you use a old Testament, you know, example, uh, to talk about it, where a new covenant reality. So where they would go and ask God, Hey, should we go into battle? Should we not go into battle? Dot, dot, dot. <clears throat> Now in this new covenant, God is in me. I don't have to go to my pastor. I don't have to go to the church. I don't need to go to somebody else. I just ask my heart. Sure. I'm like, what's the the scripture in Isaiah? It says, follow after joy, be led forth with peace, and the mountains and hills shall break forth of the scene, and the the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Like, does this give me joy? Does this give me peace? Even if it's scaring the spit out of you. Right. I know this is what I have to do. I'm going for it. And there's elements in us that we get to depend on this nature that God has given us to go and to dare and to risk and to know that God is there for us, you know, that God has got us, not from a place of you're doing stupidity, right? Because if you're not a stupid person, you're not going to do stupid things. Are you going to make mistakes? Probably. But you're not going to like get into sin. You're not going to like try and cheat somebody. You're right. not gonna, so we make up all these excuses like, well, I don't want to do this because I might cheat somebody, I might hurt somebody. I want uh, no, because if that's not who you are, <laughs> right, and that's not what you're gonna do. Making mistakes is not does not equal sin either, right? Like we've heard we've heard that as well. Like it's it's okay to, you know, make a mistake. Um, yeah, I think that's a it's a good point. I think you see you see something similar though in in the New Testament where you see Paul, right? Like trying to go, go places, going where he thinks he wants to go. And then God redirects him and he gives him a dream about Red something, light. right? Yeah. Red light. Like, oh, okay, go. Yep. Okay. So I yep. love that. So how did that work out in your life? You, you, you know, are learning these things. What are some of the green lights and red lights God's given you? For uh, so for, for me, um, I'll tell you a big green light coming out of the church, coming out of the nonprofit world, I did not think good thoughts around money. Mm -hmm. I did not think good things around wealth creation. So for me, I had these really bad stories around money. And when I started to study about wealth creation and, and how to have a philosophy or a thought around money, I started reading some different books what I recognized was that God has a really big green light around making money. And coming from my church background, you know, we say, Hey, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's like, well, but money isn't evil. It's talking about the love of money when that becomes your God. But if you want to make impact in the world, you're going to need resources. If you want to, uh, have influence many times you're going to require resources um you need to have money in order to build to create to hire to delegate to do a lot of things that help you move things forward faster and oftentimes we get into these very lack mindsets where we're like i just have to work hard oh it's not working i'll work harder that was my example you know when it was at the 60 90 hour work weeks you know And this becomes more of the performance-based stuff. But if we start to understand that money is a gift that God has given us, and money means nothing, it's agnostic. It's not 
something that is emotional. It just, it is. And on a very energetic level, we can create the ability to attract or create wealth in our lives simply by understanding who we are and the nature of God within us. That God who is a God of abundance, a God who wants to give, he said, I'm a good God who gives good or a good father who gives good gifts unto his kids. Like he's the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Like if you go through scripture and you start understanding the power of wealth and all of the forefathers and all these people who had lots of money. And obviously there's examples of those who loved the money and like buried themselves. And that was, right. you know, ridiculous. But the construct of creating wealth is about taking what I have and seeing from this place of where I create abundance, I can be more generous. I can be more giving. I can be more impactful in the world. And the vision that I have to do my business, whether it be in ministry or whether it be, you know, in my business of changing people's lives, resources make that possible. So how did you learn that? So there's a number of books I started reading. Um, there's a one book by a, a Jewish rabbi, um, Thou Shalt Prosper. Yes. Okay. So I read this book, Thou Shalt Prosper. That kind of got me thinking bigger. Then I read um, <laughs> You're a Badass at Making Money by Jen Shinchero. Holy cow. I give that to all of my clients now. It's a book that helps you to understand a different world. Then there's Napoleon Hill. Um, think and grow rich. And you understand, you know, this wealth dynamic and this energetic uh, creation and getting very clear on what you want in life to open the doors of the universe, being able to help you get there. Uh, William Waddles has a book called, um, uh, what is William Waddles book? Um, I've got it over my shoulder of my book but these are all books that once I started going down this path, it's like book after book started coming across my path. It's fascinating when, when we open that door, right? Like there's, mm -hmm. there's things. The science that, of getting rich. Okay. Uh, there's things that happen, right? They it kind of open it. Uh, for me, it was going into, and I'm not there. I, I need to get there. But uh, Napoleon Hill, like opening that a little bit, his book, Outwitting mm -hmm. the Devil. Yes. Like, change the way that I look at education and the church and kind of the, mm -hmm. kind of the world. Like, Oh, wait a minute. There's these hypnotic mm -hmm. rhythms, right? That, well, okay. How do we break that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. So I, I totally get that. Was this like a season for you or was it, was it like a, a number of years? And then what were the actions that you were taking as a result of what you were learning? So um, I'll back up just a little bit, uh, probably about five years. Um, I'd started, um, a business in, well, I'll back up just a couple more years. So in 2013, I started a business with a friend, uh, which was a uh, innovation association, all focused on Fortune 500 brands. We had a, over 74 Fortune, uh, Fortune 500 companies, including like General Electric, Walmart, Coca-Cola, BMW, Whole Foods, like all these big, massive brands. I told you I came from ministry and um, uh, uh, nonprofit backgrounds. And so I'm surrounded by these people who have gone to the best schools, making great money, working at companies you give your left arm for. And so many of them were miserable. And so I suffered, you know, a little bit of imposter, you know, kind of vibes because who am I to be leading this bunch? 
and our conversations would be less about digital transformation and innovation and more about lifestyle. And I started to feel like I belonged. And that was kind of the beginning of me understanding like the money thing I had in my head was, was, was incorrect because I saw their ability to create money and get paid these big salaries had something to do with their value as a person. And therefore, the, my lack of making money mm. <laughs> said something yes. about me as a person, right? Right. And so that was kind of like the, the first, like the, something's not right in my head. And so um, I left that company in 2016, started another company with some friends of mine uh, on paper looked awesome. But again, it was all Fortune 500 brands. We had a very long sales cycle. The four of the founders all came from um, uh, corporate and had deep pockets and you know, 401ks and stuff like that. I didn't have that. So in our you know, upstart, I blew through all of my savings pretty quickly. And then I was living on credit cards and I got over 50 grand in debt. And then finally, I'm like, you know what, guys, I'm tapping out between the five of us. You know, it'll be one less mouth to feed. And those guys had big mouths to feed. I mean, <laughs> they're just used to making a lot of money. And so I bowed out and I ended up having to sell my house. That was a really hard conversation for my family, for me and my family. And to face my wife and say, look, um, it's not working and we've got to sell our dream house and we got out of debt. We moved into a two bedroom apartment and started all over again. That's when I dove deep into these books. And I said, I have something in my head that makes me believe I'm not worthy or deserving of making the kind of money I'm capable of. I've got the gifts, the talents, the skills. I've got the network. I've got the talent of, um, of being able to connect with people and to woo them and to whatever, why is it I keep running up against these ceilings and sabotaging myself? And these books helped me to understand that I had perceptions in my money, of money in my head, of what I deserved, what I was worthy, or this other question, do I have what it takes? Mm -hmm. And those became like the three primary pieces of the stories in our heads that I've later discovered are the things that hold us back. And so the more I started to dig into this, and obviously there's other elements to business building, but that financial piece, that energetic level. So when I got on sales calls, I wasn't like, I call it sales breath, you know, sounding desperate to make the sale. Right. Instead, I learned how to not sell, but instead, instead I learned how to solve problems. And when people have a great experience of you solving their problems, they want to work with you. And the natural next step is them to give you money. Right. And this became a completely new philosophy for me and how I did sales and how I did business. I took that into the B2B space. I worked for a technology marketing company to kind of get back on my feet. And then I started coaching on the side. This was six years ago. And then I started making more money coaching than I was in my day job, but I was afraid to lose my day job. I didn't want to quit because I had that revenue stream. And then in 2020, the beginning of the pandemic, God gave me the boot and said, <laughs> all right, it's time. You're going. And for all of 24 hours, I was sad. And then I just took off and I've never looked back since. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. So I want to talk more. I want to dive in this. We, we kind of touched on it 
a little bit, but we, we promised to get into it, which is this whole idea of the ways that the church and some of the things, some of the messages that were given set us up for that sort of keeping yourself down and keeping yourself don't want to make too much money. Don't want to, you know, live up to, mm-hmm. to potential and maybe I'm just a worm, right? That kind of theology. What, what are some of those key things that you had to kind of unhinge from your faith that, mm-hmm. that you see people struggle with? Uh, so the number one thing is this construct of humility. We think that um, humility is meekness. We think that humility is playing small. We think that humility is um, staying quiet. And I was asking some guys about this the other day. I said, do you think when Jesus overturned the tables and cracked the whip that he was acting in humility? Yep. Uh-huh. When he confronted the Pharisees and called them whitewashed sepulchers, was he in humility? Yep. When he called out the, the, the people who were um, hypocrites, was he in humility? Yep. See, we think that humility is for us to play small, but actually humility is leaning fully into who you truly are. Humility is when you let go of the constructs of society and culture and we fully embrace who we truly are and therefore humility is this place of power because you know it's not about you and doing what you want and the things that you um selfishly desire and instead you lean into this place of naturally expressing who you are to the world in boldness like it is a completely different shift. It is. So I think, I think this is key and I put this at a certain place in the spiritual journey. It's sort of linear, but not necessarily. We kind of come back to it periodically mm-hmm. just as a disclaimer. But, um, and so I hear you going through that when you had to like, you kind of maybe at different times, right. You kind of blew up your, mm-hmm. blew, blew up your family and then mm-hmm. had to learn it. And then you had some success and you had to, back up again. Right. And learn it mm-hmm. and learn it all over again. Um, but I call it the finding yourself in Christ stage mm-hmm. of the journey. Right. We have, when we go through a dark night of the soul and God takes these things out of us, he takes these beliefs that we've had about who we are and what we need to live up to, mm. um, away. Then, uh, he also gives us a, a new identity about who he actually is calling us to be. And it's when we mm-hmm. live in that, that we actually serve the most number of people um, mm-hmm. or maybe it's not even the most number. The We serve the best, right? We, we become yeah. who he wants us to be. And it's kind of fascinating how success goes along with that. It's hard for me because a lot of Christians, they start to hear you talk about that stuff and they get a little antsy, right? They're like, Oh, are you getting mm-hmm. new age on me? Are you getting a little bit non mm-hmm. non biblical? And I don't think it, I think it's actually a real, this is actually a real stage of the journey that we have to go through, but our structures 
And our theologies keep us from getting into that because mm-hmm. it's a little bit dangerous, right? It's dangerous yeah. when people use their voices. And that's the story we tell ourselves, right? If you use your voice, you're going to be dangerous. If you well, step out, the question and you is, might who's it dangerous to, right? Who's exactly. It, da- so, there you so, go, right? Right? it might be great for you, but it's dangerous to the powers that be. Yeah. And sometimes that's okay because that's actually humility when you're challenging the status quo. I know there are church folk who are not really fond of the way I live my life. And I'm totally okay with that because I'm called to reach the people I'm called to reach. And I'm finally okay with that. And I used to live my life when I worked for this missions organization. Um, Oh, you know, let me back up. When I was in Bible school, um, I kept getting told I wasn't enough, maybe not directly, but through a lot of my experience to the degree that I had my diploma withheld at the end of graduation, because they said we didn't take ministry serious enough, me and my brother. Oh no. Cause we were, we we're crack ups. I mean, I've been saved, you know, for what, two years before I'm in Bible college, the average age was like 27. So everybody was like this, you know, we wore shorts and shirts and ties. You had to keep your hair short. My brother and I had like these surfer haircuts. I mean, you don't believe it now, but I had hair follicles <laughs> at a season, you know? And um, so I had this long hair. Um, we were funny. They're the ones that asked us to host all the talent shows. And we would put on, you know, our show because we were performers. And like, we did our thing. And then they told us, you, you don't fit. Wow. I went into a missions organization and... In that missions organization, it was the exact same thing. Every time my personality got too big, somebody would shut me down. And they would tell me, you're all about yourself. You selfish thing. You, um, uh, you're doing this just because of your ego. Um, then I didn't pray enough. You didn't fast enough. And uh, there were some seasons where I wasn't having enough quiet times because I didn't have all the ch- literally boxes checked. Because wow. I'm the only honest guy in the room. Everyone else <laughs> lied their freaking teeth off. Yes. I'm the only one that would be honest. Right. Right? Yes. So you tell me who here is being more godlike. Mm. Like the craziest things that we created for measurement of godliness. And it was all horse malarkey. You know, and if we weren't on this podcast, you'd hear me speak a lot more strongly, which sure. again, a lot of believers mm. would be dis like. I love Jesus and I love appropriately placed F-bombs. I just think like I can smoke cigars, I can drink whiskey, and I can enjoy Jesus in really powerful ways. And I have the best conversations over a pint of beer. What's it to you? If you're not comfortable with that, I'm comfortable with that. Then don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. You know, don't come into that world and feel uncomfortable. A friend of mine, he and I were saying, he just came out of the church uh, world and he was uh, worked with this big mega church. He's like, what if we started a podcast for uh, pastors learning to cuss? And I thought, oh my gosh, that would be so funny. We could have so much fun. <laughs> that would be but I say, awesome. Right. Do you get <laughs> exactly, it? Right? Have you seen the it, good place, the bad place? I haven't, but that oh, sounds yeah. great. Yeah, it's a good show. Yeah. So it's, it's like you take all of that, and this goes back to we have created these boundaries to put people in a place that makes them feel less than because of these power structures that goes back to where we started this conversation. And then people walk in shame. 
So you said something really powerful. And this is the number one thing I feel I work with my clients on is that is identity. Mm -hmm. Shame, blame, pain, victim mentalities are all built on stories we've told ourselves. And in the church, sadly, so many people are walking wounded because they've been felt to feel less than in themselves. And they don't see their identity in this place of power. They don't see themselves in this place of wealth creation. They don't see themselves in this place of the abilities and capacities to pursue the dreams that God is giving them. And as such, they've been cheated under this identity that does not understand who the nature of God is within them. Right. I'm convinced that the entire New Testament, uh, and particularly the epistles, if we read for this, what we'll find is the apostles telling us our new identity in Christ, who you are, over and over and over mm -hmm. again. In fact, it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, hey, you're a sinner. What he says is, you were all these things. Mm -hmm. But now in Christ, you are these things, right? That's mm -hmm. that's what he says. We mm -hmm. have to wrap our mind around that, that those kinds of ideas and identities and accept them, right? Because otherwise mm -hmm. we're just gonna get we're going to be stuck. And you know, how many people do you know? How many churches are just content to let people stay there as yep. long as they're giving their 10% and as long as they're showing up and serving and doing the things and keeping yep. that little church engine going. Why bother? Why bother breaking it? Yeah. And I think Jesus and and sounds like you uh, are breaking those mm -hmm. uh, breaking those models. Mm -hmm. And I'll say one last thing about that too is, you know, everybody's gone to this new lifestyle of remote remote work and also remote church, you know, where they can watch online. And there's going to be a shift in the way that we do church, simply yeah. for that fact. And the the audacity that some would assume or or uh, pressure people to give up more time out of their lives that you have to get in a car, you have to travel X amount of time to go to sit under a congregation for X amount of time, then you know do your little socials you know after and then go have lunch and basically just give away your day. People are starting to value their time more and more. And especially when you have families and you've got to get kids prepared and packing all the things that kids require, you know, the snacks and the, 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 the drinks and the, the juice boxes, the, all the things. People are less inclined to give of their time the way that they used to. And the church as a whole is going to have to shift the way we reach people the way we connect with people, the way we create community. And then the metaverse, like all of mm -hmm. this stuff is shifting underneath us. And if you're not paying attention, and if you're not going to where people are going to be, you're going to miss out. Yeah. Yeah. How about we go where the people are, uh, not just critique mm -hmm. it, right? Like I get it. And so I've, I've had lots of conversations on here about uh, embodiment and how valuable that is. And I'm okay with that. I think it's probably true. I think if nothing else, the last two years have proven that we really do need one another in physical ways, but that doesn't mean we can't connect online also. I don't, I don't buy that. Like some of the, my best 
friends and communities that I have are ones that I've created mm-hmm. online. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and those, those are valuable perhaps even more and I can take a yeah. network, right? If I move, I can, they'll, they'll yeah. be there. So fascinating. Okay. Um, what else? So, uh, Angus, what else like, so it sounds like you kind of led us through through your journey. I think we talked about kind of the dark night and kind of discovering yourself through all of that. I was curious, you did mention earlier, like this whole thing of love too. Like that for me is the pinnacle of the spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Where has that factor in to, to where you are and what you do now? Gosh, I think the biggest piece is I've become less judgy in general. Mm. Um, I... I had an opinion that I was right. And I had a lot of arguments as a result, you know, and a lot of arrogance. And the more that I've gotten into this, the more like I want to live my life in such a way that it inspires people, that it gets them curious, Mm -hmm. that it becomes a lure for conversation. And so love to me surpasses a lot of the more legalistic stuff that we've politicized, you know, Um, Am I happy about, you know, some of these hot topics? No. Do I wish they were different? Absolutely. But it is not my job to come and tell someone you're wrong, you're horrible, and you're a poor excuse for a human being. Even though that's not what we're saying specifically, it is exactly what we're saying in the ways that we say what we say. And for me to love people gives an opportunity for conversation. I was talking with somebody the other day, and he's like, I don't know why, but I feel so safe when I talk to you. And to me, that was like the highest compliment someone can give to me. And the more that I've dealt with my own junk, the more I realize that everyone else is, is like a shadow of who they represent themselves to be. They're all hiding stuff. Yeah. And so before we started this call, you're saying, Hey, are you okay to talk about stuff? And I said to you, I believe when you show yourself vulnerable, you give others permission to do the same. Now, does that mean I walk up to people and I tell them my story about <laughs> pornography addiction and alcoholism and all that stuff? No, I mean, you choose your choose your times. But what it is saying is, I'm not afraid to share my shadows when the time is necessary because we all have them. And the more that we can right. understand that that is part of our beauty, because in the same way that we could find ourselves in, in some of the ridiculousness, it's kind of like the law of polarity. It's like we can also slingshot to the opposite realm of this place of beauty and wholeness and purity. Like we have this ability to yield to a nature that is beyond our own. And we no longer have to earn it or strive for it or manufacture it. But from true love and authentic love, we get to go to this place of loving me and looking into the mirror and being proud of who I see. Flaws and all. And from that place of love, my lifestyle now becomes an expression that doesn't want to do the, the, the things that people would label as sin. Because when you know that you are loved, you're less inclined to seek things that are abusive. And that's what they are. When we go to those places, it's a place because we feel we deserve to be punished. And so therefore, we punish ourselves. Our identity, when it's outside of, you know, wholeness and purity and love 
and embrace and enough, then we will, our, psychologically, our brain, and this is from my human behavior studies, our brain seeks to create or attract the kinds of experiences, relationships, and opportunities that now reflect how we see ourselves because our brain always wants to validate. And so that's why we find ourselves right. in these sabotage states is because on some level, we believe we suck. We believe that we're stupid. We believe we don't deserve. We believe we deserve punishment. And so we'll create these things in our lives. But if you come to this place mm. of understanding your identity in Christ and that you are loved, that you are enough, and that you are a powerful mofo who is capable of doing exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, dream, or dare imagine, that the God of the universe lives and resides in you, and it has the very best intentions to make sure that the life you lead is full of adventure and risk and beauty and, and wins. And with that comes all of the understanding that along the way, I'm just learning. Right. And I get to impact people from this place of abundance and overflow and source and supply. Now my brain goes to validate that and it creates or attracts the kinds of existence where my relationships, my experiences, my opportunities reflect that. Yeah. While you're talking, I'm thinking about Martin Luther. One of the interesting things, you know, he would, he was as a monk, he would flat flagellate himself, mm -hmm. right? Like there were those kind of like, he would literally punish himself physically mm -hmm. uh, for his sin. And part of the beauty of when he discovered grace was he didn't have to do that mm -hmm. anymore. Right. He didn't have to bring those things on him. And that's why it was so revolutionary. It was just such a, such a huge thing. I think we're on the cusp of another reformation. We seem to have gone through them every 500 years or so. And I think we're ready for it as well. I think grace, I think love is all part of that. And guess here's the thing. Um, we hear that mm -hmm. those of us who have been in the church and we've had these messages mm -hmm. drilled into the tiniest parts of our mm -hmm. soul. Have, a, have listened to your story and go, okay, you found that. That's great. You know, lovely. But what does that mean for us? Like, how mm. how how can I actually take advantage of that? Is that really true for me? If one of our listeners is is saying that, what what can they do? So, like a father, one of my favorite things about my kids and the relationship we built is my kids ask a lot of questions. Always asking questions, and for yourself, when you start looking at your life. Ask yourself, why is this important to me? Why is this um, something I believe? And is this serving me or is it holding me back? And if you find some answers to some of those questions that are contrary to what you believed prior, then it's incumbent on you to understand why. And the biggest piece I can tell you is if something makes you feel small and if something makes you feel uh, an emotional connection to shame or pain or guilt, understand that the way that you may be looking at something is not the only way to see it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll 
I love that. Those are two just really simple questions, right? Why do I believe this? And is it actually serving me or holding me back? Powerful questions. I mean, just take any belief that you have, run it through those filters and see what happens. That's that's pretty amazing. Angus, I really appreciate you sharing your story. People can find you at your rockstar name, AngusNelson.com, and uh, they can they can connect with you if you're looking for coaching. Guys, you want to dive into that. Um, Angus has you know lots of he's got coaching, he's got uh, groups, different things. Check them out if it, if it's uh, if the Lord might be tugging on you a little bit and you're saying I need something different, go and do that. Angus, is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, yeah, you are enough. You are enough. That's the only thing you need to embrace. Amen. I love it. Thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure, Eric. This is a fun conversation. 